Well, this is our last week on our core values, the Cornerstone Core. Uh, If you missed any of them, uh, you can find them all online. We have sermons, you can listen there. Uh, If you go to our mission, vision, and values page on the website, you can click on the the core value, and it links right to its sermon. So that's a great place to get caught up if you missed any of them. So we're looking at outreach tonight, uh, which is we serve others and share the gospel. I'm excited to preach this message, uh, but one question is, why, why do we go through our series on core values? Why, why bother with something like this? Now, in October, I used an illustration that maybe some of you were here for, but really to explain our vision and our mission and our values. So in October, we went through a series called Welcome to Cornerstone, where we talked about our vision and our mission, and we defined our vision as really where we're headed, where we're going, our, our destination, and our, so it's kind of like we want to see where we're going, and then our mission is how we get there, so it's the steps that we take to get to our vision, and if you were to compare it to like a road trip, uh, the mission would be the map, the vision is kind of the exotic destination, Our vision is a gospel-centered church that changes lives through sharing the message of Jesus Christ in word and deed. We want to be a church that changes lives. And our mission is to make, mature, and multiply followers of Jesus. But where do the core values fit in? They fit in as kind of the, the RV. They're the camper that we travel in every day to get to our destination. Uh, now, there are many things that you have in a camper. You have, uh, you know, fuel, you have an engine, a steering wheel, you have uh, hopefully coffee, uh, maybe some friends to go along the road trip with you. And instead of having those sorts of things, we have community, we have discipleship, we have prayer, outreach, Bible. These are the things that we want to experience every day as we go on this journey. And why are they important? Well, it's because when we get to our destination, we still want to be friends. We want to look more and more like Jesus by the time we reach our vision. And our core values help us do that. That as we fellowship together in community, as we study God's word, as we do outreach, ultimately we're going to look more and more like Christ. We're going to follow him even better. And our core values help us do that. So uh, that's kind of an introduction to the end of the series. Let me pray for us, and then we'll go ahead and get started with outreach. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word, to be challenged, uh, to step out in faith, and also just to learn about the book of Jeremiah. Would your Holy Spirit be very evident in the preaching of your word? Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, since we were talking about vision and going someplace that we want to go, have you ever gone someplace that you didn't want to go or been uh, kind of called to be someplace you didn't want to be? Growing up, uh, my, some, one member of my family really liked pets and animals, and so on occasion, we would go to like the Denver Stock Show. I'm from Colorado, or we would go to a dog show. I never wanted to go to those things. So at least on one occasion I was sick, and another occasion, you know, I I went, but then I complained the entire time. 
Just, I see his head shaking. It's true. Uh, but it's funny because I, I've never really been like an animal person. And then for one summer, I worked on a ranch when I got a little bit older, like um, uh, with animals and hay. And then when I graduated college, I worked for the Farm Credit Administration. Like, I, I don't know why I've been called to these places, but sometimes my heart was marked by discontent. That when I was on the ranch, I complained about being outside in the cold all day mending fences. And then when I was in the Farm Credit Administration, I complained about being inside all day stuck at my desk. And so that tells me that the problem was not so much with my circumstances. The problem was with my heart. There was something inside of me that needed to change. And so the question tonight is, what's the solution? What's the solution to not wanting to be where you are? The solution is actually pretty simple. It's learning that God places us where he has us, that he puts us where we are right now, today. The nation of Israel, the Jewish people, had to learn this lesson when they were taken into captivity in Babylon. Talk about people that didn't want to be where they were. They were taken by force. The nation of Babylon came in 597 and took uh, the rulers of Judah, the kings, into captivity, into exile. They also took the upper class, the artisans, And about a decade later, they came and took the rest of the people into captivity. And they had to learn to be content where God had placed them. See, God takes his people people where he wants them. That's really what verse 4 is all about. I'm going to read through the passage and hopefully explain it. Hopefully you'll understand the passage uh, as we go through it. But reading just verse 4 again. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God takes his people where he wants them. This book, uh, the book of Jeremiah, is written by a prophet named Jeremiah, who was God's servant, who was called by God to prophesy, to speak truth to the religious leaders, to the the, the leaders of the kingdom, to the nation of Israel, to the, the Judeans. And here he wrote this letter to them while they're in exile. So uh, Jeremiah is writing from Jerusalem. He's sending this letter, uh, kind of as the, as the crow flies, it's about 500 miles to Babylon. With no interstate system, it's about 900 miles to Babylon. So he sends this letter to them and says, uh, he says to these exiles that they need to look to God, that they need to trust that God has taken them where he wants them. See, there were false prophets, in other words, people that were speaking lies in the name of God, uh, and they were prophesying to the leaders, to the Jewish people, that they weren't going to be in exile for long, that God was going to deliver them within a a few short years, so, you know, don't worry about it, you can rebel against the authority, God is going to crush Babylon, and Jeremiah, God's prophet, says, no, this is not the case. Instead, God twice says in our passage, he says it twice, once in verse 4 and once in verse 7. He says, I have carried you into exile. God is saying, I caused this. I caused you guys to go 900 miles away from your home because I have a plan for you. 
I want you to be there. And in fact, if you look at kind of the history of how uh, people were taken into captivity, you can see God's grace and God's love being shown to the nation of Israel even as they were taken into captivity. Many of the other surrounding nations, when they took their prisoners into captivity, they did horrible, awful things to them along the way. They mistreated them. But the Jewish people, the Judeans, they were given property. They were given, uh, they were given places where they could dwell and settle. Many of their uh, leaders, the kings, the artisans, they were given jobs in the royal uh, kind of district. Uh, they, were, they were allowed to work. See, God was caring for his people. Maybe they asked, well, how can, how can this be? A huge army just came and took us away, took us from our home. Notice what our Bible says. It says, the Lord Almighty Now, if you were to read a different version of the Bible, maybe the ESV or the NASB, you would see Lord of hosts. God says, I am the Lord of armies. I am the Lord of the army that came and took you away, and I am the Lord of the army that lost that battle. And so you need to trust me because I am also the God of Israel. I'm the God of you. I'm the God of My people, and I am watching out for you. I have not abandoned you. I take you where I want you to go. From this text, there's an interesting parallel with what's going on in today's world. See, God is also a God of the refugees, of the exiles, of those people that are displaced. There's been a lot of controversy in the news lately about the Syrian refugees. I'm sure all of you have an opinion on it. So what does God have to, st- to say to something like that? 31 states in the U.S. are not allowing Syrian refugees to come and live in their states, even though the federal government has a different opinion. So my question is, not, not, not what is Jonathan's opinion or your opinion, what's God's opinion? What does the Bible have to say about this? Deuteronomy 10.19 uh, was written in the time of the first exodus. So as the, as the people were leaving Egypt, maybe some of you know the story of the prince of Egypt and how all the Hebrews were in captivity in Egypt. Well, God took them out of Egypt, but he said this to them when he left. He said, And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. So we're to love and care for those that are displaced, that have gone through an exile themselves. Uh, in In the New Testament, we actually see this same message. The New Testament uses the Greek word philoxenia. Now, maybe some of you who know Greek know that that means love, philo. A love of stranger, xenia, or friend of stranger, friend of foreigner. God uses this. That, well, Hebrews 13.2 says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. So do not forget to show love to foreigners. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. That's a pretty powerful statement. Could we reject angels in disguise because we reject Syrian refugees? So my exhortation to you is that 
If you're going through and you're watching the news or you're interacting with your coworkers uh, and you're tempted to fear or hate uh, the Muslim immigrants, remember that God's love casts out fear, that fear and compassion are at odds. And God's people have had a long history of being exiles themselves. So we're challenged to love those that have gone through displacement. So if you hear something come up, say something positive, say something loving, say something compassionate about them. God takes his people where he wants them. God's even willing to take his people into exile. God has brought us here to Westford, you and me this morning, uh, this afternoon. Still getting used to that. Uh, verses 5 and 6 tell us that God has brought us here to bless the city. Verse 5 says, Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. God has brought us here to plant a garden. I love the imagery of building a house and planting a garden. Now, I have never built my own house, nor would I ever try. Uh, uh, but I do know some people who have built their own houses, and they've lived in them as, as they sort of built them. And it takes a long time to build your own house. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of work. And in the U.S., we're blessed because we can get things like construction loans, and we can kind of get the bank to finance our, our housing investment. But in many other countries, this isn't the case. So Monica and I recently went to uh, Europe. I guess that was a couple years ago, three years ago. Wow. Uh, and we went to Croatia. And we, as we were in Croatia, we saw all these sorts of different houses. And there was a lot of cinder block houses that were missing windows or missing walls, clearly weren't painted. And it was because the people there couldn't get any sort of construction loans to finish their homes. They lived in their homes as they built them. And their homes would be passed down generation from generation. And over time, they would build a complete house. And that's probably more accurate to what the situation would have been like uh, for the nation of Israel. God is saying, invest, build a home, dwell there. It's going to take a lot of work, but I want you to really invest in your city, in Babylon. When God says, plant gardens and eat their fruit, he's saying the same thing another way. He's saying, invest long term in your community. I, I was talking about this, kind of this idea of gardening this week. We were talking about this passage, and uh, it was brought up that like, you don't plant seeds and just walk away. You don't throw seeds in a garden. You, you weed, you, you plant the seeds, you water, and then you weed some more. Unless you're like me who tried to plant seeds, grass seeds, in my yard, and I threw them out, and I really didn't do much, and now I don't have grass. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of care. But notice the benefits of a garden. They feed you physically, but they also feed your soul. They feed you spiritually. They're beautiful flowers. God is saying, bring beauty, bring fruit to Babylon. And I think our message here this morning is we're called by God to bring 
beauty, to bring fruit, to bring spiritual life and vitality to our city, to Westford, to the surrounding communities. See, God is calling us to plant the garden of God in the city of man. Plant the garden of God in the city of man. This is really my big idea. Andy talked about kind of how we want to be in the world but not of the world. Plant the garden of God in the city of man. Bring a blessing of God, kind of the the spiritual life of heaven, into Westford, like we prayed. Thank you, Anthony. I once visited the Denver Botanical Gardens, and this was well over like 15, 20, maybe not 20 years, but 15 years ago. And if if any of you have been to a botanical garden, uh, at least the one in Denver is full of lots of different gardens. It's not one giant garden. It's full of little gardens. In Denver, there is the Tropical Conservatory, which is a greenhouse. And there are are like chocolate plants, banana plants. uh, There's uh, coffee, pineapple. And then you can go outside to the Crossroads Garden. And it's a drier garden that has yucca and agave plants. And then you can go to the dwarf conifer garden, uh, which has all sorts of different shaped and sized trees. The one I remember from my childhood, I don't really remember many of them, but I remember, remember the Japanese garden with the koi pond and the bonsai. God is calling us to plant a spiritual garden in Westford. Our garden is going to look different than a similar garden in Acton. It's going to look different than a garden in Carlisle or Chelmsford or Lowell. We have a unique expression of how God wants us to impact this community here. We are planting in different soil than a different community. And so we have to be thoughtful as we reach out to Westford. But notice he's also calling you to take individual responsibility for your garden. See, my garden looks different than your garden. I I, I work here in the church community, my neighborhood. But that's different than where you work, than your office, than your community, your neighborhood. God is calling you to plant a spiritual garden wherever he has you. And so the question is, are you tilling the soil Are you thinking about how you can uh, be bringing Christ to your garden so that something beautiful can sprout? Plant the garden of God in the city of man. Now, God has brought us here to plant a garden, but he's also called us here to grow a family, to grow a church family, the family of Christ. Verse 6 talks about marrying and having sons and daughters. Now, if you're to look at verses 5, 6, and 7, you'll actually see there, is, there, there are 11 uh, commands, or what are known as imperatives, in the passage. That's a lot of Jeremiah telling uh, God, telling the people of Israel, the Jewish people, what to do. So it's an actual command. It's not just describing the situation. It's, it says, do this. Verse 5 is all sort of environmental commands. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat fruit. Verse 6 is relational. Marry, have children, find wives, give your daughters away, increase. Verse 7 is physical and spiritual. Seek peace, pray. 
Now, the one with the most commands is verse 6. It's the relational one. It's the family one. It's the people one. Because God is calling us to multiply a people. Uh, This command would have been really hard for the, the, the Jewish people to hear as they're in exile. See, they already lost their land. They lost their houses, and so what do you have left? Like when, you, uh, when, you're, when your house burns down and you run out with your family, you say, oh, it's okay. I have my family. And God is saying, no, I want you to even give your family to me. I want you to give your sons and your daughters away in marriage because I want you to trust me. Trust me. That's a big commandment, and God is asking us to do something similar. To grow a new family uh, here in Westford. To give our hearts away. To form new friendships. To form new relationships. Maybe you and your family have moved to Westford recently. Now this doesn't mean that you'll be here for the next 70 years. The nation of Israel uh, was in exile roughly for 70 years. Three generations. Maybe your grandkids will be here in Westford. But I think God at least wants us to live like we're fully invested here, not have our hearts in the next place, but be right here in this town where he's called us. Plant the garden of God in the city of man. This is purely a side note, but if any of you are parents and you have married children who have not yet had kids, you can throw verse 6 at them. (laughs) Verse 7. We bless the city physically, but also spiritually. See, we care for the physical well-being of Westford, of our surrounding communities. Now, the, the, verse 7 says, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, the NIV, the New International Version, says peace and prosperity. Now, that is actually one Hebrew word that some of you may have heard. It's the word shalom. Now, shalom means peace, but it doesn't mean just sort of like a a lack of warfare, like the time period in between this battle and that battle. Instead, it means like a, a whole life shalom. It means completeness. It means wholeness. It means a state of well-being. See, the the Jewish people, they're to seek a state of well-being for their captors. This is never heard of. When nations went into exile, they didn't say, how can I bless the city that I'm taken into? They said, how can, you know, we, we fight against the man? Instead, God is saying, seek the peace, the completeness, the wholeness of those that have taken you into exile. Maybe some of you have heard, uh, there's different names for God, and one of the names for God that we hear sometimes is, the Lord is peace. Now, which is pretty much like, Yahweh is shalom. And this, this, this title for God actually comes from the story of Gideon. So when, uh, when the Jewish people first arrived in the land of Canaan, uh, in what today is Israel now, the Middle East, uh, they were uh, kind of oppressed by some of the surrounding peoples, the Midianites. And God appeared uh, to a man named Gideon. Now, he appeared in the form of an angel. Uh, and, uh, and, he, and he appeared to Gideon to tell him to kind of take up uh, the leadership position to lead the people out of oppression from the Midianites. 
And when the angel comes to Gideon and, and says these things, the angel of the Lord, Gideon says, how could I save Israel? My clan is the weakest and I am the least in my family. But God calls him to prepare an offering. The angel calls him to prepare an offering. And then the angel consumes the offering with fire and disappears. I think that's when Gideon realizes he's been in the presence of God. And who is he to doubt that God can bring peace to his people? He exclaims that he's seen God face to face. And he builds an altar. And he names the altar, the Lord is peace. And that's where we get the title for God, the Lord is peace. God gives Israel through Gideon 40 years of peace of completeness, of wholeness. And that's what God is calling us to do, to invest a lifetime, to invest fully, that we would bring the Lord is peace to Westford, that we would care about the peace and the prosperity of our city, of this community. We care for the physical well-being, for the shalom of Westford, of our town. So the question is, are we bringing the Lord is peace to our town? Do we care about Westford, about put your town in there, wherever you live? Do you care about your community? Do you care about Massachusetts? Do you care about New England? When you hear things like uh, 325 people died last year of opiate-related deaths, does that stir your heart? When you hear about things like domestic abuse uh, and violence in the city, do you care? The 325 deaths, that was in New Hampshire. But in Massachusetts, the deaths rose 20% last year from opiate-related issues. Tim Keller, he's a pastor in uh, New York City, and he helped plant a church there, Redeemer Presbyterian. And he asked this question. He says, if you or your church disappeared tonight, would the community around you notice? So if your church just got wiped completely off the map, was completely gone, would your community care? Would you have made an impact on where you are? Now, as I'm thinking about our church, I'm not sure that they would notice yet. But I think we're well on our way to trying to make that into a, a kind of a different state, that we are trying to make an impact on Westford. That we did the, we did the trunk or treat in October. Uh, we did the parents' night out last week. So I know at least a few families would miss us. And that's okay. We're well on our way to caring about our city, to bringing the peace and prosperity of God here. We care about the physical well-being of our community. But our core value says we serve others and we share the gospel. See, it's not purely about serving. It's it's not purely about good works. When we do good works without good news, then we only bring half, kind of half the healing message. See, we care about doing, about sharing the gospel in word and in deed. We care physically for people, but we don't care spiritually for them. We only do half the job. We care for the spiritual well-being of our city. Notice what God tells, uh, tells uh, Jeremiah to tell the people that he has said. He says, pray to the Lord for it. 
Now, if I was taken into captivity, if I was taken into exile, my first response would not be to pray for my captors. In fact, when I am in a situation that I don't like, like going to the Denver Stock Show, my first thought is to pray for deliverance. But Jeremiah says, and God says, no, pray for the city. And it's interesting, this word for prayer, Jeremiah uses it, uh, the Old Testament uses it different ways. Translate it, plead, intercede, judge on behalf of, expect. God is calling Israel to plead for Babylon, to plead for those people that haven't showed them a lot of mercy. Are we pleading for our city, for our Babylon? the one that God has brought us to. We pray for the city. We pray for our town. I know Westward's not really a city. It's a town. But we pray that our town would come to know Jesus as its Savior. Now, in 2012, Monica and I were going to Gordon-Conwell, a theological school. We did a survey of Westford, and we actually called different religious institutions and asked, how many people are going to your church on uh, a weekend? So not just how many people in name are Christians, but how many people actually go to a church regularly. Uh, And we called, you know, some mostly Christian, but there were some other ones that were just kind of religious organizations. Uh, And we found that 12%, 12 12% of people in Westford that we knew of went to churches in Westford. So of 21,000 people, 12% isn't a lot in our community, in this town. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't people in this, in this town that were going outside of town to go to church, but 12% isn't a lot, and that's all the religious organizations. We found through our survey that only about 2% attended an evangelical church in Westford, and that means a church that believes in Jesus, that, that wants to be a follower of Christ. There's only a couple hundred people in this community. If that doesn't break your heart, I don't know what will. We're not called to go out and make mass conversions. We're called to go out and invite people to Christ. We're called to care about our town. We're called to bring the peace of Christ to our community. See, we bless the city physically, but also spiritually. Plant the garden of God in the city of man. I was thinking about this message and I was wondering how can you apply this to your lives and I know that we've talked about a couple different ways but I actually came up with five ways that you can take this passage in Jeremiah 29 you can apply it to your life. So you can do all five this week if you want. You can do one of them uh, but there are ways that you can live out what you're learning. So the first way uh, I learned uh, I thought of was get to know your city. So get to know your city, five ways to apply this message. Now, Monica and I recently got to know our city by going to the Chelmsford Christmas tree lighting. So we live in Chelmsford. And you can learn interesting things about your city, about your town, by just going and being a part of community events. So I learned, one thing I learned is that uh, instead of playing Christmas music, they they like to play like hip-hop. So like, watch me whip, watch me nay-nay, like I heard that. Instead of Christmas carols. And that tells you something about the community. 
Now, if you want to get to know Westford, one way I'd encourage you is to go over to the Festival of Trees at the Westford uh, Regency Inn. It's right over by Market Basket. I got to do that on Thursday night. See our tree that we put out there, but also just admire the other trees uh, and vote for which one you like. So, number one, get to know your city. Number two, this one's a little bit harder. It's going to get a little bit harder as we go as we go down the list. Get to know your neighbors. Now, I know we live in New England. But I don't know how you can build a house and plant a garden without really getting to know your neighbors. Monica and I have been trying uh, since we moved into our home uh, to get to know our neighbors. And one of the ways that we're going to try to get to know our neighbors this Christmas is we ordered um, like Christmas pictures of the snapfish that talks about Christ, uh, sort of a Bible verse and just a picture of us. And we're going to give that to our neighbors as a way to remind them that who we are. Uh, and so they'll learn our names, but it'll also be a fun to walk up to their door. You know, I don't think any of you guys would describe that as fun, but uh, <laughs> ring the doorbell and hand it to them. And that's the way that we're trying. But remember, you have a different garden. You have a different place that God is ministering to you, that God is ministering through you. So whatever that is in your community, uh, in your neighborhood, think of that. Uh, so get to know your city, get to know your neighbors. Number three, serve the city. Serve the city. Now, uh, we're, we've started these things. I already mentioned a couple of them, Trunk or Treat, Parents Night Out. Uh, if you want to serve the city, serve Westford, I would encourage you to talk with Shirley Birchfield. Uh, she'll be at the Welcome Center afterwards, and she is the chair of the team lead for Outreach and Connections. And so uh, if you have an interest in that, go talk with her. And I'm sure she uh, would love to hear what God has placed on your heart uh, number four is an interesting one because it involves me. Uh, invite your pastor to your workplace. Invite your pastor to your front line. So your front line is where you spend the most of your time. Uh, now, as a pastor, I get to do many visitations. But usually, they're to the hospital. They're to uh, maybe their coffee together at Starbucks. And those things are good. But I would love to do a visitation so I can see your garden. So I can see where God has called you. Now, we can eat uh, in your cafeteria. Maybe if, you're, if you don't want me to go to the cafeteria, we can just go straight to your office. I can see where you work. We can have a cup of coffee. But I'd like to, to talk with you about your workplace and just pray. I'm not going to get on a soapbox and evangelize your office. But it might give you the opportunity to introduce me to some of your coworkers. And you can say, hey, this is my pastor. You never know what conversations will come up later. God has called you to your garden, and I just want to see your garden. And I want to encourage you at your garden and pray for you, uh, for those people that are there. Number five uh, is probably the, the hardest one, but I think it's one that I want all of us to try to do this week. It's invite one of your top ten most wanted to church. So last week I challenged you. I gave everyone the kind of the, the, the challenge of coming up with a list of top ten list of the most wanted people that you want to see come to know Christ. Uh, the, the, if you look in your bulletin, there's an insert that you can write those names down on. Now, these aren't people that are sick, but people that you want to introduce to Jesus. I would encourage you to invite one of them. It doesn't mean you have to drag them here. Doesn't mean they have to get here. Just invite them to come next Saturday to the launch of our next sermon series, Meeting Jesus and Matthew. Next week is what we call a big day. That means we're going to be extra thoughtful 
for those people that don't know Christ. I'm going to preach a message that is a little simpler and uh, hopefully have a gospel presentation. The, the worship team and everyone on stage is going to be more thoughtful just about newcomers. And so next week's a great week to invite them. It's like the pilot episode of a new series, so get them hooked. If they can't come next Saturday, you work up the courage, you ask, and they say no, invite them to Christmas Eve. So that's, that's a week from Thursday at 7 p.m. These are all ways that we are trying to plant the garden of God in the city of man. I want to close by telling a story, uh, and then I'm going to pray and invite the worship team up. The story is about a king who sent his son far away to a land, to a foreign land, and he sent his son to find a bride. The son met a local girl Uh, who didn't look like a princess or like a queen. She was a prostitute. She was drawn to the lusts and the power of the world. She was indebted and enslaved to men all across the country. But the prince, when he looked at her, he saw her beauty. He saw what she could be. So he gathered all the treasure of his kingdom He gathered all of his valuables, and he sold them, and he paid her debts. And this prince, he had a white robe that was his royal robes, and he took that robe off, and he made her a wedding dress. And when she saw his great love for her, she loved him back. It changed her. And then the son and the bride, they came home. And when the king saw the wise choice that the son had made, he crowned him king, her queen, and he threw a huge wedding feast. The Bible calls the church, calls us who follow Jesus, the bride of Christ. We are foreigners and exiles. We are in a a different land. We, We were people that should never have come into God's love, but God sent his son to marry a foreign bride. We are that foreign bride. Christ paid our debt on the cross, paying for our sins, and then he clothed us with his white robes of righteousness. Now you and I, we're called to go out and to share that same message, to invite more people to experience the love of Christ. Plant the garden of God in the city of man. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to to share your word. Uh, Would you bless the worship team as we close? Uh, Would you bless the offering as we give you uh, just funds for you to grow your garden here in Westford, Lord? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.